1: So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
2: Hello, and welcome to Consensus Conversations 2022, presented by the Oak Network, live from Austin, Texas. Hi, I'm Michelle Musso, producer here at Coindesk. And here with me is our very own Features and Opinion Managing Editor, Ben Schiller. Hello, Chief hello, hello. Insights Columnist, David Z. Morris. Party. And former managing editor of podcasts, still host of Markets Daily and CEO of 330.ai, our very own Adam B. Levine. Hi, Adam. How are you? Hello,
3: Adam. Welcome back. Yeah, welcome back.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't need to say much here, guys. I'm sure you have a lot to talk about. But one thing I just want to make a point to get us started is how cool is this? How awesome is this to be here at Consensus 2022? I mean, how excited are you, Ben? Uh, I don't
0: think I've been this excited since I was about 16 years old. And, uh, you know, this is absolutely (laughs) amazing. There's there's, uh, 17,000 people here. We've got 550 speakers, uh, all kinds of stages and activations and all kinds of crazy, crazy fun things going on. And it's just absolutely freaking amazing.
2: What about you, David?
3: Yeah, I mean, I've been to almost every consensus since 2015 or 2016, whenever the first one was. I think I missed one early on. But the timeline here is insane because the last really big consensus we had was, well, it was not we then because I wasn't part of Coindesk, but it was 2018. And I believe at that time the uh, attendance was 8,000 people. Um, I don't know what the 2019 numbers or anything like that was, but then we had 2020 and 2021. Everything was online, so we missed it. Attendance this year, 17,000 people.
2: Mind-blowing. More
3: than double the last, what I believe is the highest attendees that we had. Um, And this is after six months of crypto markets uh, going down. So it's really inspiring that this interest transcends just, you know, the typical dismissive phrase, number go up, right? Well, the numbers have been going down and we're still here. And that is very Mm -hmm. interesting and exciting to see.
4: Yeah, crypto, you know, has been like this story that's happened over and over and over again. I've again, like I've been watching this space now for going on uh, 11 years at this point. And (laughs) I I just mostly feel old at this point. (laughs) But anyways, uh, you know, so like crypto is kind of characterized by these sort of beaconing moments, right, where a thing happens that might not be repeatable, but it sort of sends up a flare into the ether, right? And people see that and then they start making decisions based on that. I think that we saw that kind of moment a couple of years ago as NFTs, especially around sort of the introduction of NBA Top Shot where suddenly, the, the question of would real brands get involved with these types of technologies, would they see an opportunity, it was pretty confirmed, pretty firmly answered, yes, yes they would. And I think just today we saw another deal come out about the UFC, which has made a, a layer one wow. blockchain deal or something like that. Yeah. And it's it's pretty, again like it's it's across the board. So you know, although the price has been going down for six months, those beaconing events already happened, they already sort of attracted the attention in, and really that's what we're seeing here. So although this is in some ways, you know, a time when one would expect these conferences to be dour, in fact, I've been doing a number of man on the street interviews out there, and one commonality is that every single person who I've talked to, this is the first time they've come to, co- to a consensus event, and in many Ow. cases, it's the first time they've come to Bitcoin conferences in general. Secondly, everybody is just shocked by the kind of size and scale of this thing, which, again, like we're here at the Austin Con- uh, Convention Center, and,
3: and is- um, I haven't even figured out where, but apparently, uh, Method Man and Redman are playing yes. at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. To, yes. to give That's a sense,
2: disclosure. Oh my God! Yeah. Really? God <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs>
0: You missed out, dude.
4: Yeah, it was last night. I'm too busy doing the actual work. So. <laughs> I know, I know. I went to see our Doc Blust, uh, one of the producers at Coindesk, okay. who performed last night, and that was a oh, lot wow. of fun
2: live uh, tonight too. It's oh Yeah, be cool. he's live yeah. tonight
4: opening for his closure. There's stuff
2: going on everywhere. I mean, you have the Dow House outside, you have NFT yeah. projects that are going on. You meander around here in Austin, Texas. It's mind-blowing. And I
4: have to say, you know, it may be a little bit sacrilege given the CoinDesk is a company that's based out of New York, but I am so happy that we're doing this in Austin yeah. because yeah. again, like I went to one conference in 2014 in New York. I think it was inside Bitcoins or something like that. And that was just such an overwhelming
3: experience. I'm just experience, glad to city. not be
4: in the god marry
0: it <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, it's quite interesting quite instructive I think to uh, David you're comparing 2018 with with this conference and 2018 was kind of packed into that Hilton on Sixth Avenue, there, and uh, it was kind of 9,000 people, you couldn't move. But, yeah, it was but, a little
3: but, bit of a disaster, actually.
0: But, but but it was kind of a completely different conference to this one. It's, yeah. uh, it was like all about money, future of money was largely about Bitcoin. It was kind of this kind of cliquish kind of group of people. It's a much more expansive crowd, it's much more Absolutely. cultural, it's much more about the kind of future of culture as much as it is about the future of money.
3: Yeah, and I mean, just to, to jump off that, I will say, well, a first, Um, Big props to the operations folks running things here because um, 2018, you had lines running out the door for hours on end. This year, everything is smooth and I feel like people are getting in uh, without too much trouble. And then, yeah, to to your point about, um, frankly, just like visible diversity at the conference is, is very... Um, impressive. You know, I think that early on in the evolution of crypto, we talked a lot about the idea that because these are permissionless networks, this would be accessible to a large, a lot of different people around the world, different, you know, socioeconomic groups even. And we're seeing it really happen, not by any means claiming that things are representational or that we're not male-dominated here, which is does remain the case, but um, there are positive
4: signs for sure.
0: Definitely.
4: Again, like you look back at the last time that consensus happened, and this is my first consensus too, again, as someone who doesn't travel a lot, it hasn't been a thing. Although I would have gone to consensus in New York had COVID not shut us down. So I just want to say that. Uh, <laughs> nice so, to
2: have you here, Adam. Yeah, indeed.
4: <laughs> so, so, but the, the kind of point that I want to make is that, you know, there were so many questions back in 2017, 2018, we were on the tail end sort of of the the, like ICO bubble, there was starting to be regulatory actions and it seemed like it was getting serious and there was no mainstream adoption really. So that's the thing I think that again, like the the kind of break in terms of physical events, skipping forward from the last one to this one, there are so many more answers to those questions and pretty uniformly across the board, they've all been validation, right? They've all been validation that from a technology standpoint, from a culture standpoint, from a, again, like a, the, the, I go back to the NFT thing because NFTs really have proven that even though I don't believe we have much penetration into consumer retail on those, like I don't think normal people in the Midwest are buying these things, but I think that all of kind of the biggest brands, the biggest content creators, they're all going to be offering them. And I think that, you know, we don't really know how a lot of these things are gonna work out in terms of like, what's the correct way to do an NFT for a mass market brand. But I think that all these simultaneous experiments that are going on right now, mean that we probably will have an answer within the next couple of years.
3: And I think that that is why people are here, right? Is we have the answer to if, we don't have the answer to how, and we're all here to figure that out.
0: Definitely. I think DAOs are also interesting. I mean, DAOs have been discussed for a long time in the kind of crypto community, and then there's been a lot of validation around that as well. This idea of kind of participatory uh, commerce, participatory uh, investment is, is really taken off and really been validated in the last couple of years. Yeah.
2: Anything in particular stand out for either of you gentlemen right here at Consensus so far today that you favor?
3: I mean, just scale, honestly, for me, is, is just striking. I mean, we're sitting here in the Austin Convention Center, which is... You know, I mean, huge. It's even, I, I refer to the Marriott, those who have been to Consensus in the past, it's the same hotel that we did it almost every year. God be praised to the Marriott, peace, peace be upon <laughs> you, but it's a, a horrible space for a convention. <laughs> um, the floor that we're on right now, just eyeballing it, you know, at the Marriott we had two floors of trade booths. This is probably 30 times, 20 times bigger than those two floors put together in terms of the space that is being taken up.
4: Yeah, and I i mean, we're, we're in one giant room, which is, I believe, floor four. And I think there's another room that's also equal to this size that I have not even had a chance. Oh, like, I spent I did, the last hour and a half walking around here just trying to kind of grok everything that's going on. But I mean, I saw I was overlooking at kind of the metaverse stage, right? And like the metaverse awesome. stage has this really cool like kind of quasi tunnel that you go through that then has screens on the side and just really f-ing cool stuff.
0: But there's a <laughs> whole sports court out there. Have you, have you seen the sports court? I'm giving a, I'm, I'm moderating. An I haven't event, gone but there yet, Ben. I haven't got there yet. I've yeah.
2: done the metaverse. I've there's, done the little metaverse tour there. There's,
0: there's a there's a freaking basketball court out there. They <laughs> built a basketball court in the middle of the uh, parking lot oh, out wow. there. So that's pretty amazing.
4: Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, like moving past the Austin Convention Center where we're recording this right now, you know, like just walking around downtown Austin. This is consensus downtown Austin, right? Like, there's so many signs of it, whether you're just looking at, like, the swarms of people. I tried, like, it took two and a half hours to get lunch yesterday uh, (laughs) at a restaurant, right? Because, like, there's just so many people swarming everywhere. It's a very interesting experience. The only thing that I can really compare this to is I used to, in the late 90s, go to the Macworld events at the Moscone Center in San Francisco. And those were, that's, like, the only type of event that I can think of that sort of matches the scale of what we're really seeing here. And uh, and it's it's frankly very impressive.
3: Yeah, we, we were talking about changes over the past couple of years, and, yeah. and Adam, since you've been doing the Man on the Street interviews, I'm kind of curious for your take on this because I think it's like Sun Tzu says, never interrupt your enemy when he's making a mistake. <laughs> and the past couple of years, we have seen so many very explicit and clear illustrations of the basic case for just Bitcoin in particular, in terms of, you know, PayPal censoring payments, uh, central banks seizing other central banks' money, uh, these really fundamental things that speak to the case that we've been articulating for years now, and it's it's all really happening. I mean, is that something that people are really thinking about, or is it more the fun stuff, I guess, in terms of driving people to get interested in this for the first time?
4: I mean... So the apocryphal saying from uh, Gandhi, attributed to Gandhi, although not by Gandhi, is that first they laugh at you, or first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then you fight, then they fight you, then you win, right? So I think that we're at the beginning of the they fight you, the end of they laugh at you part. I think we've we've exited that part. And again, you look at the history of cryptocurrency, yeah. and like there's not a lot of time, right? We're talking about 13 years, right. 14 years, perhaps at this point coming up at the end of this year. So I mean, like. the the pace at which this thing has progressed from being a literal nothing. And I remember in the very kind of first experiences I had with Bitcoin back in 2011, like the whole thing was, well, sure, this is a good idea, but they're never going to let it work, right? Right. And the reality of it is, is that it has worked and it has proven over and over and over again that. And more importantly, again, like Bitcoin in a vacuum bitcoin in a world where governments were acting responsibly with money would not be particularly interesting but we've also seen during that time sort of the fulfillment of the concerns that really drove the creation of bitcoin which is the continued abuse and denigration of the currency which has significant effects which very few people understand like that that's the part that on the one hand i find both uh, you know like encouraging is that there's all this validation on the other hand It's understandable, but it's super unfortunate that these issues are perceived as so complex that people don't feel like they can wrap their head around them, but they're really not that complex, right? it's uh, it's the same thing with anything. Like, if you, if you had, like, the, the government is, in theory, our employee, right? We we mm-hmm. pay the bills, and then they do things that are supposed to benefit us, right? So, you, you know, I, w- I want to kind of pivot the conversation a little bit to the inflation reading that came in just a couple of hours ago, showing that inflation clocked in at 8.6%, according to official metrics, which, again, we can talk about whether or not those are good metrics or not, which is the highest official rate of inflation since 1981. Uh, you know I mean? Like, This is a problem (laughs) and that problem is something that sort of has been expected by people in the world of Bitcoin and it's something that's only recently spilled out, but it's not new. The idea of inflation is not new. The question is, where does the inflation go and do we perceive it as good or do we perceive it as negative? For a long time, for the last 20 years, most of my adult life, we've been you know, in this kind of period of time where there's been incredible inflation actually, but it's gone primarily into asset markets, and it's gone primarily into housing markets, driving up prices in ways that make people feel good through the wealth effect. But the reality of it is, is that now that's spilled out. And after it's spilled out, inflation is a sticky thing and it's hard to get away from. So again, the use case for Bitcoin, which is really less about an inflation hedge and more about a systemic disruption hedge, right? And Bitcoin presents an alternative to kind of whatever the new system that would be coming out with. So I think that continues to be very strong, but I still very much expect there to be a significant fight because the power that is taken away by, by sort of any success from Bitcoin in any sort of critical sense is so catastrophic, is so existential to the way that things work today. And, and I do want to, I'm sorry,
3: I'm taking the host job here, but... Um,
2: you right I, ahead, David.
3: I, I want to highlight that, you know, Adam and I just pegged on two fairly different, though related, reasons that we are here and doing this. You know, I'm actually a little bit more dovish on inflation than than Adam is in both the moment and kind of on a macro scale, but I care a lot about censorship. And so we come at it from two slightly different perspectives and arrive at the same conclusion. And I think that that's important for people to understand that you can bring a lot of different ideas to this and and still uh, arrive at the same feeling about what should exist.
0: Ben, what do you take? Well, I just wanted to take a little issue with Adam. So, I mean, I, I, completely, <laughs> comes Adam. I completely agree with the thesis of, uh, you know, Bitcoin being an inflation hedge. But wouldn't Bitcoin have been appreciating in this environment? Uh, and it hasn't been appreciating.
4: Well, so my argument is actually that Bitcoin's not an inflation hedge. It's a systemic disruption hedge, right? And so the idea here is, is in a world that lacks alternatives, what are you going to do but take the only option available, right? So in the world of money, again, in kind of the world before Bitcoin, there were a number of of private monies that came out that did things that were similar to Bitcoin but used centralized mechanisms, a whole variety of them over the course of about 15 years. And the reality is, is that they all failed in large part because they were not allowed to succeed. They were stopped because they could be stopped. And so the introduction of Bitcoin, irrespective of anything else, introduces the idea of unstoppable competition in the world of currency. And so to me, that's the, the really significant factor here isn't you know what is it doing in price today it's when the system finally gets reset, because it inevitably will, because again, like to the, I mean, to the extent that you understand the history of money, you understand that the idea of a sort of global reserve currency is something that starts off being given to the country that's in the best position to do it, and then is long maintained past the point at which it stops being true. And we are so far beyond that. That, that point for the United States dollar was in the 70s, was in the, the kind of mm-hmm. Nixon era. And then they've kind of figured out a way to cheat. And to make it so that they could take all that risk and roll it up into bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger balls of wax right and so now we're at the point where you know like i remember back during kind of the eu crisis you know like if italy had failed that would have been a problem but instead what they did is they rolled it up into the eurozone, right so now that same risk that was there for spain and was there for italy is now there for the entirety of the european union and that's true basically across the board so there's not really another level of abstraction outside of them actually succeeding in generating some type of global governance system, which I think is gonna be really hard to do. But you look at comments from uh, from uh, Prime Minister Modi uh, at uh, the WEF a couple of weeks ago, and his basic point was, in order to address this, we need to have a unified regulatory system that makes it so effectively, he didn't say this, but what it means is, so you can't escape So there's no alternative. So again, it comes back to this idea of are you allowed to have an opinion and make a decision that the people who run the world don't agree with? They would prefer that you didn't because then you'd pick the thing that they want. But Bitcoin makes that a really hard argument to make.
0: I mean, do you think we're heading to that world? I mean, do you think we're heading to uh, inescapable monetary policy? I
4: I think that they will try. I think that they will fail. I I think that what you could very easily get and kind of my baseline scenario about this is that you get a divergence between large countries who benefit from the kind of status quo system and then you get small countries like El Salvador who say, I benefit not at all from this. Why would I participate in this type of thing? And instead they go their own way, right? And before that, to go your own way was to say, well, you have to buy my currency, right? You have to like deal with everything in sort of El Salvador and pesos or whatever the, the currency is there, I don't recall. But, um, but now, again, with Bitcoin, it creates this sort of neutral layer that has all of the characteristics that are desirable about a kind of unified global system as far as financial assets are concerned, but which is fundamentally neutral in a way that no system governed by any sort of governmental body, I mean, much less the IMF, like, right? Like, that's kind of a baseline scenario also is if you are, if you were to see something like this, the IMF probably has the most credibility of anybody. And that's not much credibility. Again, these are effectively like the loan sharks of the global economy. <laughs> Well, put.
2: well, concerning about regulation and government right now, I mean, you had Senator Gillibrand and Senator Cynthia Loomis just recently advocated for legislation, regulatory framework for uh, digital assets and cryptocurrency. So where do you think we're going from there? I and mean, we know it's an election year this year, but where do we go with regulation and regulatory from I mean, this First year?
0: of all, I think it's fascinating that high-profile senators like that would uh, spend the time and the energy and, and kind of coalescing uh, coalitions to uh, even be kind of broaching these topics because uh, obviously they see some electoral gain in it. There's some kind of donor gain in it. And I think we're seeing, uh, it's another kind of transition we're seeing. We're seeing the political system kind of engage with these issues because they see a benefit to it.
2: Isn't there about data though? They want to have data. Like, okay, crypto is good for the people. Well, where's the data? So half the time they, they, they come to us asking that, you know, so what, you're looking at me, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So, I mean, do you think that that we're proving the data that it's helpful to the people or for regulatory purposes? See, I, I don't actually think
3: that the data is the right question here. Because okay. what I care about is not something that is measurable at scale. Okay. Um, what I care about is, is edge cases, is things that can't exist otherwise, um, and applications that people don't actually want you to do. And so, like, I... It, it, you know if we really want to get real like it, it's something that concerns me quite deeply in terms of the state of the industry um, and and honestly even like the scale of this conference like I definitely think there is huge promise here but I think it is also worth reminding people that at the end of the day this is dissident technology um, and you can commercialize it in certain ways that can build a company and you can also commercialize it in a lot of ways that misrepresent the point. Um, and so, you know, I will just send that out as a warning to consensus attendees that, you know, <laughs> Do your um, research. we have an open door policy. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, remember that, you know, this is for weird stuff. Um, and uh, this is one of the reasons why I think that NFTs are so exciting because it is like an NFTs. actual
0: like... Uh, <laughs>
3: innocuous applications so we need more of those uh, that are not as scary but um.
0: Can I just take issue with my uh, much <laughs> esteemed friend here David Morris who's one of my favorite people in the space I mean I think the mistake people always make about crypto generally and about blockchain technology generally is always kind of saying it's this one thing and I think it's many 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 things and that's why Fair, fair enough fair and that's enough. why Consensus is such a big uh, tent uh, such a successful conference because it actually embraces all of those different kind of Uh, themes and kind of uh, groups and tribes uh, and bringing them together and it's not just about Bitcoin, it's not just about dissidents, it's also about CBDCs, it's also about all the other cases as well, so it's kind of um, everything at once.
4: I mean again, it comes back to that neutrality, right? Like the neutrality of it means that it doesn't matter what we individually think about it, it matters that the, the kind of, the censorship characteristics of Bitcoin, right? And most cryptocurrencies like it really are, did you pay a fee? to include your, 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 you know, transferring the blockchain. And really that's what it is, is it's just a better way to track who owns what stuff on the internet, right? And Bitcoin does that for money, NFTs do it for, you know, collectibles and other stuff. And eventually this will just become sort of the way that ownerships work generally, because although it works for the internet, it also works in real life, and that's something where if you look at systems out there, you look at stock trading systems, right? You look at you know intellectual property systems, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Publishing systems, none of those things have that true, have that as kind of a, as kind of a, a reality about them. And so that neutrality means that it really can be kind of everything to every person, because it doesn't care. And so that again, like to us, that's great. To us, that's that's kind of the thing of it. But again, to the people who would rather that we make the decision that they want, that's a problem because giving us options means that we're probably going to pick ones that we prefer better.
2: I was just curious for you, Adam. Like we talked before, we had a couple conversations about the bear market versus the bull market, and. A lot of people are disheartened right now concerning the bear market. I mean, the bull market is very exciting. I know for me being new in the space, I was like, yay, you know, everything's great. But now we're in this downturn. So what is your forecast for, what is your expectation moving forward we're, concerning crypto?
4: We're really in uncharted territory right now. Okay. Like we're like, it's never different, right? Like it's, it's different this time, but it's never different. But at the same time, it's different this time, right? Like the, the level <laughs> of sort of buy-in, again, across the corporate sector. Of course, across the, corp- across the corporate spectrum, you know, again, like we've seen the introduction of Bitcoin introduced as legal tender in a nation and other countries that are talking about it. And I think really we're not going to see a big kind of push on that until we see results come out of El Salvador that either prove that it was a good idea or a bad idea. And I think if it's a bad idea. It sets us back significantly. If it's a good idea, then I think that you'll see a half dozen other nations around the world in a similar situation that then make that move as well. And that will be the start of this division that I see coming. So that's kind of the, you know, when it comes to these bear markets, eh, you know, I mean, it never feels good, right? It never feels good to be invested in something and to have the price go down. But again, you look at the world of crypto and then you look at everything else in the world, and it's like, okay, This isn't actually about crypto at all. This is about the world, and this is about, again, that experimental, extraordinary monetary policy that we've seen that has tied together all of these risks. You know, people talk about hawkish policy from the Fed. Really, what we're talking about here is the removal of extraordinarily supportive policies and a return to baseline that would have happened had they not interfered. And so, you know, again, like, on the one hand, I understand the instinct behind wanting to interfere into markets and wanting to keep things propped up, mostly because, again, in the political world, this is how people are judged, and so you it's, want to look
3: as good as yeah. possible. Low political cunning is the name for that instinct.
4: <laughs> yeah, right. So again, like, so that's the that's the kind of crazy part about it, is that as with so many different topics about Bitcoin, there's just the reality of neutral, it's there, doesn't care about you, but you can use it if you want, Bitcoin. And then here's the rest of the world that's going absolutely insane. And Bitcoin kind of just floats right along with it, so it continues to, it continues to. You know, this is my, I think, fifth time through one of these markets, uh, and it's. O.G. It's, I'm telling you, it's you're all, O.G. It's always I'm terrible. <laughs> it's always terrible, but at the same time. You get numb to it after a while and you learn to kind of position yourself a little bit better. So that's the kind of thing, I think, for the people who are new to these markets, this can this is a really, really troubling time. I mean,
3: I think that... Question everything. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I would echo almost everything you just said and emphasize a couple parts of it, which is the very weird part about this downturn is that it is not crypto specific. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, crypto, because you have total public access, um, the tops are toppier and the bottoms can be bottomier. But the really interesting thing right now is that, you know, and I want to maybe not so much on technical terms, but on kind of sentimental terms, I don't know if this is a bear market. I, I, I think this is a correction in terms of our industry. I think that it's a macro bear market. I mean, you have Netflix down 73% right. or 80 whatever. So, like, things are just going nuts. The big tech companies are having That is um, crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, wow, 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 wow. And... Um, you know, the second thing that I would echo and amplify is this is when you learn, and it's sometimes very hard to learn. And some people learn some very hard lessons about playing stupid games this time around. Um, it always happens the same way. And, um, but if you, if you look at the numbers, um, you see Bitcoin is still up 50% from, I mean, not even 50%, it's up 50% from the top three years ago. And it's up, like, whatever it is from a a recent local bottom two years ago. Um, And and it's just, like, fine. And that doesn't mean we don't have a lot of downside left here. Um, So be careful. But, um, you know, all the same, it's not as bad as it could be. It's certainly not as sharp as drawdowns in previous cycles. Um,
4: And and so, you know... (laughs) Yet. I mean, yet. Strong emphasis on yet. (laughs) We, We just... We don't know. I mean, but this... This uh, this suspension of disbelief thing about the start of bear markets—that's pretty typical for the first six months. It it,
3: it is (laughs) typical. Well, but I think we're also coming up on nine months now. So
4: fair enough. um, I mean,
3: like, no, maybe not November.
4: No, I mean, it's, it's been seven time, or eight months. But the point months. is is that these bear markets tend to be recognized kind of in hindsight. And we're kind of at this make or break point right now, in my opinion, where we're going to find out probably in the next month and a half whether this really is a bear market or whether this is a correction that's come as a result, again, of the macro environment. And really, again, the withdrawal of yeah. easy money, right? I saw that the, uh, the ECB announced yesterday and markets freaked out that they were going to raise their core interest rate from negative half a percent up to zero percent and that they might even raise it higher. Again, Like that means that the cost of money is negative, which means that there's no reason to do anything with your money but put it into speculative assets, which is exactly what we've seen in these markets again. Go ahead, I just want to
0: put the kind of opposite case there, and I, I absolutely agree we are in a bear market in terms of uh, prices, and I, I completely agree with the sort of fundamental analysis that you just put forward, Adam. But on the other hand, you know, there's 17,000 people here, and we brought in millions and millions of uh, new people into this space in, in the last couple of years, um, and this feels very, very different from the last uh, bear market that David and I experienced to our, our cost when we were trying to set yeah. up the yeah. Breaker magazine <laughs> in, in 18, 19. That was an absolute nightmare. Unemployment. But uh, we, we <laughs> were, unemployment, exactly. Um, it, but we were playing in a much smaller pool in, 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 in those days. It was a much smaller group of people. And this feels like a much more broad-based movement and actually a generational movement of young people coming into this space because they, they're looking for something different and they want to organize in different ways and the way in which these, these DAOs get set up, people want to work for themselves, they want to work in these collective arrangements, they don't want to work in these companies anymore. And these are much more sort of foundational, transformative type of movements that are going on in, in society, in, in the world of work, in the world of uh, the economics and uh, I think um, you could say it's a bear market, but you can also say that you know, there's this kind of bigger trend line going on.
2: Before we wrap, Abby, you have something to say? Yeah, Yeah,
0: I mean,
4: so one other place I think that it's worth taking us is that we've been talking about the scale of this thing, but one other element that I think is really aggressively not perhaps different, but but so kind of amplified relative to my prior experiences is how competitive the space is getting and how we're, I believe, approaching a point very quickly compared to oh, yeah. really any industry of commodification across multiple verticals within the kind of the world of crypto, whether you're talking, again, about something like exchange as a service, right? I remember when, you know, Shapeshift was like the way that you could do stuff like that. And now there are many competing protocols out there. DEXs, you know, decentralized exchanges have really come into their own. And these days are actually doing more volume than all the centralized exchanges combined. And again, like that competitive pressure, both from the corporate side, where you have many companies that are all, you know, again, providing infrastructure services. The first company that I created in the world of crypto was Tokenly. And that was what I wanted to do way back in 2014. And again, at the time, there was nobody who was doing that. And today, again, like there are many companies and these companies are valued at hundreds billions of dollars. So again, you just look at not just the scale of sort of the participation, but how competitive it is and how those competitive pressures are going to work together to make it so that all of these use cases develop much faster and become much more useful, much cheaper to use. And really, again, kind of drive that cost down to zero. To be perfectly honest, it's why I got out of the business is because I'm not great in the commodification space. I'm good in the innovation space. And that's kind of, yeah. well, I, I, I hate to say it, but I think crypto is on its way out of kind of the core innovation and into that optimization commodification. Yeah, and-
3: and and to the corollary to that of course as my last comment is that when you commodify you you there's no you know there's there's less and less alpha there's yeah. less and less profit um, so I mean I guess maybe that's kind of and, and, and at the same time we are even if I you know I'm a little bit more optimistic than some um, we're certainly entering a place where where weak projects are uh, gonna lose traction and there might even be we're seeing like actual acquisitions happening which is wild Um, but generally I would say like for people who are here trying to figure things out like definitely listen to what Adam said about commodification because there are gonna be there are um, a million exchanges a million DEXs a million DeFi platforms um, a million hell a million liquidity pool provide like everything is copied you do now absolutely have to have a differentiator
0: well, that's the nature of open source, right? I mean, it's easy copyable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
4: Uh, so I, I'm actually not going to let us end. So, David, I, I want to kind of investigate this divergence between our two perspectives on this thing. Oh, sure. Because I, again, like one of the big theses that I've had for a long time about this stuff is that there would inevitably become a point where the stall tactics that I believe that we see out of governments around the world, where they keep things ambiguous so that companies that are concerned about making sure they're doing things right simply can't operate and you're left with kind of these worst actors, right? Again, you look at kind of the hopes around, you know, Chairman Gary Gensler at the SEC who came in and there were great expectations that we would get significant clarity and in practice we haven't really gotten any clarity at all but we have gotten some, you know, again, like we've gotten the first prosecution for insider trading of NFTs, right? Which threatens to, it seems to me, make this a security. So I'm, I'm quite curious, my general sense is that there will come a time where this ends and there has to be a response from governments that looks something like banning or forbidding it from being held on corporate balance sheets or something to attempt to preserve what's left of the monopoly that they're currently in the process of destroying in a macroeconomic sense, right? Like, So that, that's, that's been something that's been in my head for a long time. And I continue to see that coming. But I believed it would happen certainly lots earlier. So I've been wrong about that too. So kind of what, what do you see this? Do you think there is a transition period that's possible that can happen without some kind of meaningful turmoil?
3: I mean, I, I just don't think governments actually see Bitcoin as, as big of a threat as um, well, yeah. we within the industry tend to frame it. And and, I mean, I think honestly, my personal stance is just that they're right. I mean, national currencies are not going to go away. Um, They are going to now, I mean, my thesis about Bitcoin and monetary policy, I'm actually not a hard money person. Um, And and that's because I believe that you have to have a certain amount of inflation in an economy to drive growth, and, and that's actually just how it works. But that has to be kind of at a national scale, managed by the population through a democratic process where there's accountability. The problem with the dollar is that it is no longer a national currency. It is this global monster that has very weird effects um, around the world. So, I mean, you were talking about El Salvador, for example. El Salvador's currency is the dollar. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so um, that's one of the reasons why it even made sense for them to experiment with Bitcoin in the first yeah. place is because they already don't have their own currency. Um, but, but I do think that, like, Bitcoin is discipline. Bitcoin is an escape hatch for ex- countries experiencing true hyperinflation. We see it all the time. We see Argentina, we see Turkey, we see these interest spikes where basically, okay, our government is abusing the currency, we're gonna exit, we're gonna join a global currency where at least we know the rules, where at least there's not an autocrat who can come in and give a bunch to his friends. Um, and you know, so I guess personally, I am not as focused On the Fed as uh, like the demon, Um, because I, you know, it it, it seems crazy right now because we're seeing 8% inflation, but even countries that did not do the kinds of social issuance that the US did are seeing the same inflation. My personal take is it's structural, it is not necessarily monetary driven. That's a debate we can have at a different point, but.
0: um, I just want to pick up on a point that uh, Adam was making about the complete lack of kind of regulatory clarity that we've seen uh, really for many, many years. And uh, you know, Gensler was the great white hope and he was supposed to finally bring some, uh, some, um, some guidance to the industry and it just completely hasn't happened. I think what's happening is there are so many projects out there now that want to kind of decentralize more than they might have done had there been clarity because they just don't want to play this game anymore with, with regulators, because they've been going to regulators for years and years and saying, how do we play fair with you, how do we do this, and getting, they're getting those sort of feedback that's really useful, and they're saying, to hell with this, we're going to decentralize as much as we can and not play this game at all, because uh, it allows us to kind of make an end run around the whole process.
3: Yeah, and, and I will also briefly play devil's advocate and say that there is, I think, a legitimate case to a certain extent, obviously there are technical matters when it comes to mining and DEXs and other more advanced things, but there are certain parts of crypto where it's very clear that traditional financial rules do still apply and can still help enforce good behavior, frankly, because what, we're, what I'm really talking about is fraud. Yeah. And when you engage in fraud, it doesn't matter whether you're doing it on the blockchain right. or, or anywhere else. Um, and I think that honestly, in some ways, it's a best-case scenario if you have regulation by enforcement that targets fraud alone, and otherwise people are, are left to their own devices. And maybe you, you hit a tripwire every once in a while, you get somebody who does something they think is okay that turns out to not be. The real problem is on the technical front, where you have people trying to regulate miners as money transmitters out of a pure misunderstanding. Um, and, and that is what we have to worry about, I think, personally, more than the IMF thinking that Bitcoin is going, although I do think the IMF thinks Bitcoin is coming for it. I don't necessarily think that's the main threat vector when you're thinking about regulation. Yeah,
4: I think that when you're looking at these types of systems, again, like the history of Bitcoin is so short. The history of cryptocurrency is even shorter than that. And I think that were I sitting in the shoes of the IMF, and I certainly am not an IMF official, but it would be the thing that would keep me up at night because there's so many things that you can control through kind of the way that things work today. And this is a wild card. And simply the existence of a wild card, when the stakes are this high, that is important.
3: Yeah. And I got to make one comment on this point because we've spent the first part of this week dealing with an absolute full-fledged op coming out of the New York Times relative to some uh, new Bitcoin research that was somewhat interesting in its own right, but got completely twisted to become this argument that Bitcoin is somehow not actually decentralized. Offensive, stupid, simply wrong, clearly coming from some kind of power center that wanted this message put out. So there is the regulatory attack, but there is also the information attack. Is this the Greenpeace one? No. no, No, okay. This was uh, early miners piece. But you better All the, the early miners piece. Of, yeah. Oh
4: yeah, that was that was horribly misinterpreted. Yeah. Now the uh, there was a piece the other day about that uh, we carried actually about sort of this uh, the this green push uh, or this push from uh, environmentalist organizations to kind of change the the core code of Bitcoin uh, yeah. consensus mechanism. And that one, so I that was another really bad one. It it jumped out at me. So I having been in the industry as long as I have, I observed the block wars and. My sense about them is that the winners write the history and that the way that that actually happened versus the stories that are told about it, including in books that are very well written, they interviewed the people who won, right? <laughs> and so that that, that was Makes interesting, sense. right? <laughs> like there's this idea that Bitcoin is this fundamentally decentralized thing and the way that you, and it's very hardened against upgrades, right? Uh, and it's hardened against upgrades because upgrades can be good or they can be bad, but the system functions today as it is and it doesn't really need upgrades in kind of a core sense to keep operating in this fashion. So I'm going to get technical for just a second. The way it used to work is that when you wanted to do an upgrade, you did what's called a hard fork, which means you created a new version of the software and And then you convinced uh, a majority of the network to adopt that version of the software. And I have the unpopular opinion that the kind of way that the block wars ended with segregated witness using a soft fork reversed the gravity of how change comes to Bitcoin in a way that is very negative and that actually is very centralizing. Because it changed it. It used to be the change didn't happen unless you convinced a majority of the network to proactively go out and upgrade their software. And then that was how you made change happen. And when they did this upgrade, they knew they were going to lose on that. So instead, they cheated, in my opinion, and they changed the perspective such that if you didn't proactively downgrade or you didn't proactively change your software, you just did nothing, then you accepted the change. And that, again, made it so that Bitcoin was much less hardened, in my opinion, unpopular though it may be, against these types of changes. And I believe that is why there is a potential, because you don't need to convince yeah, people in the way that you used I have this argument
3: to. before, but it's very interesting, especially on the greening thing, which yeah. is pretty clearly an attack and
0: yeah.
2: Well, we have some final thoughts here for each one of you before we well, close I, out.
0: I think I just wanted to pick up on the New York Times thing because uh, they picked up on this uh, research. Uh, just to explain for a second, this was research into the early uh, two, two years of uh, Bitcoin, and they were kind of making a claim that the network was less decentralized than, than we thought. And it was kind of this kind of way of saying generally that Bitcoin, even now, is uh, yeah. less decentralized <laughs> but, but than But to, we to might, put let, a fine point let, on let it. Me, let me make a point. But it was kind of interesting to kind of see this kind of institutional underhand attack against Bitcoin using a very kind of narrow piece of research that can make a much bigger kind of blown-up yeah. point. Uh, and, really but it's not even narrow like versus recent.
3: broad. It's just simply wrong because we talked to those researchers and they were extremely explicit to us that they made no claims about Bitcoin beyond their study window, which was from 2009 to 2011. And then you get the New York Times with a headline saying yeah. Bitcoin is not as decentralized. So it's, it's, it's not just disingenuous. I mean, you have to ask whether it's incompetent, Disingenuous or motivated in some ways, um, and uh, perhaps well. I,
4: I, I'm done giving. I'm done giving people the benefit of the doubt on this stuff. Again, like I, I appreciate that this is a somewhat complex topic, but as experts, again, writing about it for the paper of record, the New York Times. They understand this stuff. These things are very intentional because again, you look at any type of system out there, right? Any type of distributed technology or or, uh, uh, what's it called, decentralized technology, and really what you're looking at is a system that doesn't trust power. And if you look at who holds power in our system and you look at who isn't really a big fan Of cryptocurrency and bitcoin specifically the blockchain not bitcoin right it's the people who benefit from the way that things are and so they have much to lose these are not disinterested entities whether you're talking about the new york times or whether you're talking about governments around the world and yet they can't say that they can't say that we have skin in the game and we really don't want you to do this thing because it would be bad for us right so instead we get these types of kind of on their face bad faith is it incompetence or is it malicious it's Malicious, right? Like at this point, it's malicious.
0: I mean, I don't think it's a conspiracy. I I don't think they kind of sat around the New York Times and thought about how can we mess with Bitcoin? But it's much more sort of subtle and insidious than that. And that's what kind of makes it so kind of dangerous. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I mean, again, like, you know, like as humans, we characterize things into buckets, right? Here's the bucket of things that are that I like and that are good for me and that I'm invested in. Here's the bucket of things that I'm concerned about. And that think, I mean, like, it doesn't have to be a conspiracy. It just has to be a recognition of self-interest. And I think that's what we see. I mean,
3: I'm going to be the diverse voice again and say I am totally open to the idea that it's a conspiracy. (laughs) (laughs)
2: of course david but uh (laughs)
3: we'll leave it at that perhaps
2: well that's a good point to break up that's why i'm here to make sure y'all go home or go somewhere on the floor today but thank you so much for being here this has been consensus conversations 2022 provided by the oak network live here in austin texas and i've been able to sit here with adam b levine ben schiller and david z morris i'm michelle musso thanks for joining us bye-bye for now thanks Thanks, Michelle. michelle thanks guys